Let's see. Reveling in all that is Beyonce. Defending the right of parents to have pride in their child. And celebrating the first African WWE champion in the history of the company. Yeah. I think there's something for everybody on this episode. This is a brief healing, and I am Sensei Raven Ekundayo. Okay, so here's the deal. Like, black is beautiful. We all know that, and if you're listening to this podcast, this black and queer podcast, then no, black is beautiful. <laughs> uh, there are three topics that I want to talk about. As you all know, the brief healing, it goes pretty fast. So I won't be long, but I have to touch on them because it's just black awesomeness going on. Uh, first, we need to just go ahead and talk about what you heard me speak of at the very beginning, which is Beyonce for the win. So Netflix released at uh, 3 a.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time last night. Uh, Homecoming, which is a Netflix documentary from the Coachella or Beachella, or as some people say, Baychella, <laughs> that took place last year at Coachella. And it was accompanied also by a uh, live, uh, live, would you call them albums anymore? Like, what would it be considered? Because it's uh, pretty much only on streaming. So <laughs> what would you call it now? Project? So it had it was a live project that accompanied the documentary, which is pretty much just in audio form what you end up seeing in the documentary, uh, minus the behind the scenes footage. And so when I was on my way to campus this morning, I was listening to the uh, the soundtrack because uh, well album because I was like I'm not going to be able to listen. I'm not going to be able to watch. The documentary until after I get back from campus. So as soon as I got back from campus, I started eating dinner and wanted to watch the documentary because I told myself I don't want to wait to put up this brief healing. Like I want to immediately go after my reaction and start talking about it. So, okay, I have a lot of notes. <laughs> I'm supposed to only be giving 10 minutes to each of these three, these three topics. So let's see how I'm able to do. <laughs> so first of all, I need to say this. Beyonce is phenomenal. And I have several friends who will probably be shocked to hear me say that because a lot of people think I can't stand her. That's not the case at all. I actually love Beyonce. I am not a fan of some of her toxic beehive members. Like, I can't say the beehive in general because I'm fairly certain there are some good people who are part of the hive. However, the loudest tend to be the worst. And those are the really toxic people who are bullies, who are extremely judgmental, who put other people down. People who I'm sure if Beyonce was to meet in person, she wouldn't favor, you know? And I'm one of those kind of people, and I've been this way since I was a kid, that I normally go against what it is that everybody else is for. That's just naturally who I am. I hate being a part of, you know, a bandwagon. Uh, so when she first came out with Dangerously in Love, I loved it. Oh my God, her performance in that tableau at the Grammys is still one of my favorite performances from the Grammys ever. But the more people got into her and treated her like she was something other than human, it really bothered me. So I slowly pushed myself away. However, at Coachella last year, uh, BHW and I actually watched it. We watched it live on YouTube and it was amazing. Like, 
it's one of those experiences where you look back and you're like, I love the fact that I actually watched it live. I didn't watch it later on. I was actually there in the moment as it was happening. And it was truly an experience. When it was over, I can honestly say, and I believe I said this to BHW, there is only one concert that I believe it rivals for me that I've seen. And that was the uh, Janet Jackson Velvet Rope concert. That concert is still yeah, <laughs> this Coachella performance gives it a run for its money. So they might be equally my number ones, uh, but it, it was classic. It was absolutely classic. So getting to my notes, the first thing I put down was that the editing was phenomenal. And I put right after that, that there's an uh, edit scene during Crazy in Love that seamlessly transitioned the yellow outfits into the pink. Now, BHW would always say to me that I have like a director's eye. I'm always paying attention to that kind of stuff. And I do. That stuff matters so much to me, not just in movies, but as you can see from a, a concert film like this, it was so awesome, especially because it was at the beginning. So for those who may have not known that it took place two days and not just one, it was a great kind of flow into you seeing it go from yellow to pink. And if you blinked, you would have missed it. Like if you would have blinked and then come back, you would have been like, wait, what? What just happened? Like It was such a cool moment. Something small probably to most people, but for me in my eye, I really loved it. So then what was the next thing I put? I said, I got chills during formation like I was watching it live again. And that's true. Like I was watching formation and I felt my whole body get chills. And I was like, dude, this is what this performance did for me. Like BHW and I were losing our shit during the actual live uh, concert. And he and I are people who are very critical of Beyonce, you know, but when something's good, it's good. And she is a grade A artist. That can't be questioned, you know? Um, and yeah, we were we were in it, seriously. <laughs> and I think that's what I love. It's not like I'm coming back at this a year later attempting to be like, you know what? I watched the Netflix documentary and it was really good. No, I actually saw it when it first happened. And to show how good it is, I'm still getting chills a whole year later watching an entire performance I'd seen before, you know? That's how I know I loved it. Okay, so then the next bullet point I put was I teared up during the documentary parts of formation, something, I mean, after formation. Okay, so I put I teared up during the documentary parts after formation, meaning the behind the scenes. Something about Beyonce stating that she wanted people to see themselves on stage who were always made to feel like how they looked was wrong. And so that meant a lot to me hearing her say that, that that was one of the major reasons why she wanted to the way she formatted this performance in such a way for black people that, and, and she did that. She proved that, you know, there were so many different uh, shades of brown. There were so many different body types that were on that stage. Like it was beautiful, absolutely beautiful. She highlighted so many different types of blackness and it was truly a celebration. I really love that. Also, another thing that made me tear up was seeing the passion of the dancers in the behind the scenes, you know, um, the the excitement that they had, the passion that they had for what they were doing, it was beautiful. Like it really not only did it make me tear up, I again had chills watching that. During the entire documentary, she honors different black icons, and uh, some of them included Nina Simone, Toni Morrison, W. E. B. Du Bois, Alice Walker, Marion Wright Edelman, Reginald Lewis, Audre Lorde, 
Cornell West and Maya Angelou. How was I going to mess up Cornell West of all people? Um, I was like, how did I pronounce his name? Uh, (laughs) And I thought that was beautiful, especially for anyone who knows me personally, my love of Nina Simone like that. Oh, (sighs) but yeah, of course, also Maya Angelou. I'm I'm listening to this and I'm just like, I mean, I'm probably going to mention it a few times, but the unapologetic blackness of it all was awe-inspiring it really was and I mean it's one thing when I was watching it live you know especially the the fact that the entire theme was geared towards uh, HBCUs but watching the documentary just really drilled it home just how unapologetically black it was and I loved it I really, really loved it. Okay, so I need to make sure I'm staying under my 10 minutes. Um, So I put as the next bullet point, Drunken Love is easily one of my favorite performances. And then I put, it has Nina Simone and swag surfing, enough said. And that's true. Like, where are you going to get that at? Like, where are you going to get that? Where are you going to get Nina Simone and swag surfing all taking place in one song? Like, really? No. It, oh my God. Like, there, there are so many moments in this where everyone comes together like all of her the the band the dancers everybody and they start moving as one oh my god it's so awesome okay so then i put the next bullet point the uh everybody mad breakdown is certified classic at this point the uh ot genesis song became an overnight hit thanks to this sequence and was played on loop by me the performance and the song for days afterward that's fact like if you actually go to the uh the THS podcast page, you'll see that I actually have a clip of them doing this part. Like I fell so in love with this. I immediately um what was it? I I I found out his name. I think I googled it. Found out his name, went to Spotify and immediately downloaded the song. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could only imagine how much attention he got after she uh, used the song when she sampled it. It was it was awesome. It really was. Okay. Then I said, uh, I found myself being emotional with pretty much everything behind the scenes. And that's true. You know, uh, there was a point where she talked about giving birth to the kids and uh, well, the twins, excuse me, which I believe their names are Rumi and Sir. By all means, Misfit Universe, especially those of you who are part of the Hive, correct me if I'm wrong about their names. Uh, but she talked about uh, one of the twins' hearts pausing at a point and they had to do a C-section on her. And I'm like, wow, that went through a lot. She, I think she said, was she 208 pounds or something like that? I should have put that down. But it was she was over 200 pounds by the time she gave birth to the kids. And you see them, you know, break down uh, 118 days, 115 days, 107 days, 88 days, you know, and you're able to see the course of them going through this entire journey of preparing for this performance. And you're seeing the weight slowly come off, slowly come off. But like all of that made me emotional. It really did. Not only because of how passionate she was about the performance and making sure that it came off right, but her journey as a mother and understanding, you know, my life isn't the same anymore. Ways that I used to be able to work, I can't do anymore. And you can see in the documentary just how much family means to her. At the end of it, when the credits were rolling, that's all I was thinking to myself. Oh, I loved seeing a lot of the the outtakes with her family. And I'm like, family really, really means a lot to her. And I think that that's really special. Uh, I put uh, 
Magenta had me hype. Yes, of course. Um, then I put, uh, she said she wanted we as the people to feel like we see ourselves on screen and she succeeded in a large way. Okay. Yeah. I mentioned that earlier. Um, so good. I can go past that. <laughs> I put all those people dancing to get me bodied on that stage at the same time is a forever moment. Listen, I re- I rewound that on the documentary, I think three times to watch that. Like not only, of course, the part with she and Solange, and I love that she kept in when they fell because Solange came out two nights in a row. So she could have easily kept the one where they didn't. So I love the fact where she was like, no, we're going to put that in because that's a real moment. So kudos to her for that. But just, oh my God, the point where everyone begins to come inward together. If you've seen the documentary, y'all know what I'm talking about. Or if you just saw the live performance, there's a point on Get Me Bodied where everyone of course is across the stage and then slowly everyone pulls in while still dancing as one. Oh, <laughs> I could just watch that one part over and over and over again. I love the song. I've loved the song since it first came out on B-Day, but oh God, that performance is everything. And then at the end, I said, I can only imagine the family that was created from this experience. And what I mean by that is all of these people, I think she said it may have been 200 people she had to fit on that stage, like all of them working together. Keep in mind, she said that what was the the music, the band and the instrumentation and everything was four months to put together. And then the choreography and everything took another four months to put together. So they were working on this for eight months, eight months, you know, I'm like, think about that. That's that's more than half a year that they were working on this, these two performances, seriously you know that that's major that's major and you you have to make what i would assume would be tight lifelong bonds after a performance like that seriously so uh if you can't gather from me saying this and the fact that i've gone over my 10 minutes um you you absolutely should check out homecoming Absolutely. Uh, If you're someone who enjoys Beyonce, you don't even have to really love her. But if you just enjoy Beyonce, definitely listen to the live album. I think that you'll enjoy it. But the documentary itself is just good from start to finish. If you didn't have a chance to see the actual Coachella performance, then it's going to be even better for you. Because the the cinematography and everything is nice. The colors, everything is really crisp and beautiful. I definitely give it an A plus. I definitely give it an A plus. And you have a whole new level of respect for her, you know? If you don't already, because my thing is, is that however you feel about her, one thing you can't say is that she doesn't work her ass off. She works her ass off. For all of the jokes that we've made, you know, about her taking this person's idea, this person's idea, you know, going on YouTube and taking somebody's, you know, all the things we joke about. She works her ass off. Like very few artists we know, you know. Um, so yeah, you 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 have to respect that. You absolutely have to respect that. Okay. So the next thing I wanted to talk about was for those of you who are wrestling fans, see, I have something for everyone on here. Um, <laughs> WrestleMania, I believe it was thirty five, took place about two weekends ago, two Sundays ago, and uh, a wrestler by the name of Kofi Kingston became the uh, WWE champion, and. A lot of people wanted to say the first African-American 
uh, WWE champion, but they realized that might be disrespectful to Dwayne The Rock Johnson because he's half Samoan, but he's also half black, half African-American. And they felt like that might be kind of rude to him. So they've started calling him the first African WWE champion because he is Ghanaian. Uh, so that works for me, you know? I'm like, hey, first African. The, the whole thing is, is that we we see somebody who has not held that title before, you know? With all due respect to The Rock, he's half Samoan. We've never had somebody that was just black as the WWE champion. And that's insane in 2019. That's insane, you know? So it was a big deal, a big, big deal. And watching it all over social media was awesome. You know, seeing people in Africa celebrating this, it was so wonderful. For those of us who were into wrestling, it was a moment. It was a really serious moment because I think the unfortunate thing is, is that you don't really, you, you get to a point watching wrestling where you're just happy that people of color are wearing belts that it doesn't even dawn on you, especially because The Rock had it. So a lot of the times we would tell ourselves, you know, where well, The Rock was champion, so that's enough. But even with that being said, he was still the only one. So why is it in all the years of WWE, there's only been one champion, you know? Um, well, anyway, any or WWE champion. Now, they've had other champions, but they were always the world champion. And there are differences in the major titles. But the WWE title, of course, is that that's the standard. Like now, if you're if you're uh, someone who watches wrestling, you know, they have the universal title. But the universal title, I believe, is only maybe two years old. So the WWE title is the one that has been around for decades, decades so all of those other wrestlers of color, well, the, the African-Americans uh, anyway, never wore the flagship title. So Kofi winning it once again was a major deal. It was big, but it also begs the question, why is it that there, because this, this was a historic uh, WrestleMania in general, because for the very first time, women actually headlined it. And you have to ask yourself again in 2019, why is that just happening? happening like I believe again in the last two years they finally started having women actually uh, main eventing pay-per-views in general in the last two years and it's it's sad because in 2019 we shouldn't just be getting to these moments we should not have so many firsts when it comes to women when it comes to people of color we should not and well, who knows? One day I may meet Vince McMahon and I have no problem with saying this to his face. So that's why I'm going to say it now. He needs to go. And I genuinely feel that way. I believe that his daughter, Stephanie McMahon, and her husband, uh, Triple H, Paul Levesque, I believe that the two of them would do a much better job running the company. Uh, Triple H shows it all the time on NXT which is truly like their third brand, but they treat it more like uh, developmental for people who are just coming into WWE, you know, to kind of get their footing before they come on to what they call the main roster. He runs that, Triple H runs that, and it is a far better product than Raw and SmackDown, a far better product, and it's embarrassing. It's honestly embarrassing because you watch, as even now, even now, there was a team that came in to NXT and they were originally called War Machine 
Well, by the time they got to NXT, they changed their name to War Raiders, which was already stupid. But I guess people are like, okay, you know, well, war's still in it, so we'll be fine. So I don't know if this is true or not, but there have been whispers that Vince McMahon is against the word war in general. He doesn't like it. It it was stated that he believes it's archaic. Now, like I said, those are just whispers. I don't know if that's actual fact. But if that is the case, the name he changed it to is just asinine. He changed it to the uh the viking experience now if you're still listening to this and you're not the biggest wrestling fan i believe even you can agree that's a dumbass name the viking experience but this is what i'm saying like there's a wrestler named mustafa ali phenomenal phenomenal wrestler someone who made a decision that he wasn't going to be a heel which is a bad guy in wrestling he was going to be a good guy he, he completely bucked against the whole idea of, you know, the the foreign guy, the Pakistani, you know, had to be somebody who was a villain, who was anti-American. He's from Chicago, you know, and so he's really gotten over as a good guy and he's broken a lot of barriers and racism with who he is. His name is Mustafa Ali and it should have remained Mustafa Ali. You want to know what his name is now? Ali. They just completely changed it. I, excuse me for they, Vince just completely changed it. So this is what I'm saying. You know, he has very antiquated ideas, really silly ideas, and he needs to step aside because I'm looking at Kofi with this title right now, and I'm afraid of what's going to happen. Already, it seems like he's delegating him to being more of a mid-card champion with a major title, and it's troublesome. It's It's very very troublesome and I don't know his intentions I don't know how long he plans for Kofi to have the belt all I know is that Kofi deserves to hold this title for a while he is an awesome wrestler and he proved it over the last few months because Kofi wasn't originally supposed to be in the um in the main event at WrestleMania uh but Ali who was who had their trajectory to be on his way to the main event ended up getting injured And once he was injured, they slowly moved Kofi Kingston into his spot. They just had no idea the audience was going to respond to him the way they did. And the audience showed so much respect and so much love. And they pretty much propelled Kofi to WrestleMania. And that's still what's happening now. You know, it's been two weeks since WrestleMania. And every time Kofi comes out, the audience goes crazy for him. So I'm like, you have to listen to the fans. If the fans are going apeshit over this dude, <laughs> apeshit, Beyonce, um, then you can't make a decision to take this belt off of him. Ride the wave, you know? He's popular. Your, your African-American, your African champion is popular. Plain and simple. Okay, so that's all I have to say about that. And lastly, I want to speak on Zion Wade. If you are not familiar with Zion Wade, he is the son of Dwayne Wade and Gabrielle Union. Well, Gabrielle is his stepmom. And I believe Zion is 11 years old. So this is what I want to close the show on. Uh, Gabrielle, uh, along with his older brother, who I believe Zaire is 17, and their young daughter that they actually had together, Gabrielle and Dwayne. I forgot the baby's name. Uh, She took all three of them to the uh, Miami Beach Pride Festival because of Zion. So she took them there and they wanted to celebrate him. Now, from what I know, I don't believe the family has actually labeled him gay. I think that that is what society has done. But they're very clear on who he is. You feel me? So they took him there because they wanted him to be able to celebrate the fullness of who he is out and open, you know? 
labels weren't needed. They understand who he is. He knows who he is. What I believe is interesting, and this is a conversation I was having with one of my cis hetero friends, is that people on the outside are always attempting to tell you who you are. So, of course, people are coming out of nowhere and attacking the Wades, saying, why would you take him to that? Why are you trying to put this on him and all of that stuff? First of all, as I stated, I don't believe that they as a family have actually said that he's gay. They haven't put a label on it, you know? They took him to this festival because this is who he is. So they wanted to celebrate that. Clearly, Zion has expressed this to them. I doubt very seriously that they just woke up one day and they were like, you know what? We're going to take you to a pride parade. No, you know. So that's one. Two, how is it that as black people, we don't believe that white people get to tell us about the white experience, but as a black cis hetero person, you think you have the right to tell a black queer person about what they are or, or how they operate. No, it doesn't work that way. You don't get to tell somebody else that homosexuality is wrong. You don't. You can open your mouth and say it, but you also have to understand that you have no leg to stand on. You don't live our experience. And as I was also saying to my friend, if you were someone who shares, I guess, like Donnie McClurkin, you know, the whole thing of I used to be gay and now I'm not. Well, sir, that's your experience. That's who you are. Me, on the other hand, I'm still very much attracted to the same sex, you know? And also, it's not all about, because, you know, the, the question could become for Zion at 11 years old, well, how is it that you know what you're attracted to? Me, I knew earlier than 11. And this is what I'm saying, you know? I was explaining once again in the conversation, you see, I had an extensive conversation with my friend. Um, we were talking, and when we were having this conversation, I said to him that earlier in the day, I had seen a picture on Instagram with a little boy, he couldn't have been any more than maybe three years old, wearing a t-shirt that said, uh, I need for you to ask your wife to stop staring at me or something like that, stop giving me the eyes and all this stuff. A three-year-old kid, you know? So I said to him, I said, I think it's funny that people are always saying to queer people, we need to stop putting our queerness onto them. But why is it that heterosexual people have absolutely no problem putting their heteronormative ways of thinking onto kids? Where's the right in that? Why is it you guys get to be right, but we're wrong? You feel me? It's hypocritical. It honestly is. We exist in a world where, and I, I talked to him about privilege, and I said, the truth is, is that the, the vast majority of us have some type of privilege over someone else. The sad thing is, is that heterosexual people don't understand their vast privilege when it comes to queer people, when it comes to trans people, when it comes to non-binary people. It's serious. And the fact that they won't acknowledge it is a problem. You go day in and day out being able to kiss people in public, being able to hold hands, being able to hug, you know, post pictures of your spouses everywhere. But yet someone who doesn't love the same way that you do, if they do it, then it's wrong. That is corrupt power. It honestly is. And this young man is going out there by 11. I was absolutely clear on who I was. Absolutely clear, you know. At the time, at 11 years old, I was still attracted to both men and women. But the, there was no denying I was attracted to men. So I don't know where. And sometimes I think that it's honestly a thing of adults like to forget when they were younger. 
Now, I do have some people in my life, you know, I have some straight people who told me that they didn't have sex for until they were much older. I have some queer friends who told me they didn't realize that they were queer until they were in their 20s. Me, I knew in the one digits. Everyone's story is different, but that's just it. You have to understand and respect that everyone's story is different. You can't assume that because this is the way that you grew up, then that means that that's just what it is. That this is your way of thinking, that this is how you navigate life, that that's what it is. That's not true. It's just not true, you know? And we have to be very, very careful of that because people make a habit out of judging others based off of their own experiences, which shows, as I always state, this me, me, me way of thinking. This is not just your world. In the world that you were brought up in, the one that you operate in, there are vast universes outside of your existence. It is not all about you. Dear listener, whoever you are, it is not all about you. There are universes that exist far beyond your world. Allow them to. Please. So I'm sending out love to the Wade family. Thank you so much for showing up to him. I mean, up for him, excuse me. Gabrielle, my Scorpio sister, thank you for being unapologetic. Thank you for being unapologetic. And I share that with my friend. I was like, she's a Scorpio. So there will be no taking back what it is that she did. <laughs> That's not happening with her, you know. Um, shout out to y'all. Uh, even though Dwayne couldn't be there at the festival, he made sure to show his love on social media. So that's what I'm talking about. This is how families should handle it. Let your child know that you see them. Say it along with me, Misfits. Capital S E E. You see them. This is how we operate in love. Hmm. And it feels so good when you do. There we go, guys. I'm under 30 minutes. I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this brief healing. I pray that something in it helped. I hope that it healed. And until next time, namaste.